from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media and our telephone number. If you want to join our late-night national conversation on this Thursday evening, you're welcome to do so, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337, and of course, our legacy line is always open for you. Now, my question for you is, do the Democrats embrace anarchy and lawlessness? Now, today... The Biden administration was is considering a proposal to offer free health care to illegal immigrants, uh, in particular those uh, that were part of the um, deferred action, uh, the DACA program. Yesterday, they expelled or the expelled Tennessee state representatives were restored to their position. So, in effect, the expulsion was useless, perfunctory, if you will. Then... Today, it's a new tune. They're arresting what they call the Pentagon leaker, who's been leaking government secrets online on the Discord app under the name, I think it's OG. And not OG like me, Original Gordito, but OG as I'm guessing is an uh, original gangster, like in the um, hip-hop terminology. So before we jump into that, I want you to hear the news as it came out of Washington from Attorney General Merrick Garland himself. Today, the Justice Department arrested Jack Douglas Teixeira in connection with an investigation into alleged unauthorized removal, retention, and transmission of classified national defense information. Teixeira is an employee of the United States Air Force National Guard. FBI agents took Teixeira into custody earlier this afternoon without incident. He will have an initial appearance at the U.S. District Court for the District of Massachusetts. I want to thank the FBI Justice Department prosecutors, and our colleagues at the Department of Defense for their diligent work on this case. This investigation is ongoing. We will share more information at the appropriate time. So that's Attorney General Merrick Garland, who um, I would never trust as far as I could throw the guy. So I take everything with a grain of salt. But I don't think it's my job to come here and start making excuses for this leaker to say things like, oh, he's only 21 years old. He's only a, a National Air Guardsman. Uh, how, how does he have access to this? What's going on? Well, that's literally how spying works, right? I mean, that's literally how it works. You hang out at a bar where you know some girl works at a place and she's a secretary, and then, you, you know, you're hooking up with her, and then you have access to her, and then you get her to steal things from her boss. I mean, this is literally how espionage happens all over the place. So I don't want to be naive here. Uh, oftentimes, it's young, unassuming people that do this, and then they become really professional spies, you know, and then they come on this show and talk about their ex-spy lives. So uh, I'm not fooled for a second by anybody's youth. That that means nothing to me. I, I do... Um, 
think it's good to analyze this stuff and say, is this guy some nefarious leaker that's clearly working for China, putting out information like that? Or is he some sort of a self-proclaimed patriot that decided um, I've had enough of sending money to Ukraine and I'm going to put all this information out there so that the American people know I'm actually a hero. I'm a whistleblower because I'm going to put an end to this once and for all, even if I have to break, you know, uh, the Espionage Act in order to do it. I don't know the answer to that, Uh, but I can tell you it doesn't look good for this kid. I don't think he gets away with it, Uh, but but you never know. Stranger things have happened, right? I mean, we look at our history of these things. We have a history with, um, let's go back. Um, What's his name? Snowden, right? He's the guy of the hour. Everybody's talking about him. Some people love him. Some people hate him. For some, he's a hero. For others, he's a uh, whistleblower. Uh, For others, he's a, a, a leaker and a traitor and a this and a that. Um, it doesn't matter what I think of him. I think that all of these things can cut both ways, whether it's Snowden, whether it's Assange, whether it's uh, Bradley Manning, all of these things have, uh, there's two sides to every story. And, and I do realize that there's always things at play in Washington, right? So whether this is a domestic thing, whether it's not, whether it's, uh, they're trying to make it look like a prank, you know, like a bunch of kids who are just, you know, talking about, God, family, country, and government secrets. I, I just don't, I don't buy that. Not for a second. I really don't. Uh, when there's so much um, on the line. And I can't help but think that it just, this seems like something that our foreign adversaries like the Russians or the Chinese or the, even the Iranians would do. This seems like their M.O., to do the espionage, to get someone to, to flip one way or another. And this is my argument. If you've listened to my show for any, uh, any amount of time, I've, I've always, um, you know, tongue-in-cheek, I say the pro-Putin patriots because I, um, I don't, I realize that Putin, while he goes out there and says things that many, would, you know, they love, they're like, yeah, he's standing up for Christianity, standing up for being a man's man. He, you know, he's criticizing the, the woke culture. That's because... It's Putin and the, the FSB and, you know, the, the new version of the KGB. They're the ones that promote half of the garbage that comes in here. Don't think for a second that our colleges just got corrupted on their own. They didn't. These colleges that now produce people with purple hair, blue hair, lipstick and beards and things like that. Uh, these bearded ladies or, or whatever they identify as today. These are products of, of propaganda that was sown you know, these were seeds that were sown into higher education in the United States. This is the communist plan a hundred years ago, and they're reaping the rewards now. So not surprised in the least at what we have, and I'm not surprised when you have a 21-year-old uh, that's getting locked up on video because CNN got there first and knocked on his door before the FBI did. How about that one? I mean, it's just, it's like the standard way of doing things. You know, so I'm waiting, you know, I would presume that if we already knew that this guy was a radical Trumper, we would already have heard that in the reports that, uh, you know, um, you know, this guy's got a lot of uh, pro-Trump MAGA. He's a MAGA Republican uh, propaganda on his social networks and whatnot. Um, I haven't heard it yet. So that means it probably doesn't exist. And we'll we'll hear more about who this guy, Jack Teixeira, is. But, um, yeah. He disclosed dozens of sensitive U.S. intelligence documents to an online community on Discord that was mainly, again, devoted to video games and guns. I don't know why that's important other than 
for people who are against video games and guns that want to um, draw a correlation between the two. And there might be one, and that's okay if there is. You know, then it's up to you if you want to fight that. But I just think it's fascinating that that's where we are. So I want to talk about the national security implications of this because, in my opinion, that's really the problem here, right? We really do have a national security problem on our hands where our secret, sensitive, classified, whatever type of information has been put out there and it's been leaked and it's now in the hands of the wrong people, in particular Ukraine strategy and whatnot. So who better to talk to than former uh, uh, Deputy National Security Advisor, excuse me, I could barely spit that one out, uh, Victoria Coates from the Trump administration. She'll be joining us momentarily to help us break it down. Plus, a little bit later, we're going to talk about how uh, woke teachers and unions are against parents and kids. And, of course, we're going to find out about something called the Day of Silence, uh, something that um, the LGBTQ movement is putting together. It happens to be tomorrow, and I had no idea about it. So we're going to talk about that as well. Don't go anywhere. There's more to come straight ahead. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Concerned about okay, the leak. guys, it's time to go. Let's well, go. Well, we got to move. I'm not concerned about the leakages. I'm concerned that it happened. But there's nothing contemporaneous that I'm aware of that is pretty All right, that is President Joe Biden, who I affectionately have nicknamed Joe El Baboso Biden, which means the bumbling one in Spanish. And uh, he's saying there's nothing contemporaneous going on. Of course, this is him trying to uh, address what's going on with the leaked document situation that came out of the Pentagon. And uh, I'm not sure which way uh, I'm, you know, um, feeling about this. I I think, great, they caught the guy. Let's see what happens. Bad that the information's out there, I would suppose. But to help us make sense of it and uh, to gather whether this is heads or tails, uh, I want to bring in Victoria Coates, former Deputy National Security Advisor to President Trump and Senior Research Fellow at the Heritage Foundation. Victoria Coates, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me on, Rich. You bet. So what's your initial reaction to this? Is this guy a hero? Is this guy a villain? What say you? In terms of the leaker or the president? (laughs) (laughs) Great question. Uh, Yeah, I'm talking Um, about uh, Mr. Teixeira. Yeah, he's a a villain. I mean, he's someone who had access to material he shouldn't have had access to at such a young age in such a minor role. But, you know, and and this is going to be a little bit of a sidebar from our main topic of conversation, but I think this points to some of the real consequences of the lockdowns over a pandemic uh, for for young people and how minds were warped. People found their social lives on these these platforms that aren't real, and it, it created a really bizarre, I think, sense of allegiances. And so I'm not in any way excusing what he did, because what he did was wrong. It was illegal. And it was a terrible detriment to our national security. And he needs to be prosecuted for that. But I I do think there's a, a secondary world here we need to take a much closer look at to see what our young people were doing during lockdown to just try to get themselves through it. Yeah, that's a valid point. 
And and I think if if there were any pushback from me on that, it, it would be because I, I agree with you. I think we're we have an entire generation of people that uh, are, for lack of a better word, uh, like getting left back, right? That are going to repeat a grade, if you mm-hmm. will, um, emotionally, socially, academically, and even if it's not on paper. Um, that's all true. But but I think isn't and I'm not an expert. I've never been a deputy national security advisor, uh, so maybe you could add some some light to this. But from what I understand, those I've interviewed and, and work that I've had where I've had some minimal interaction with folks in the intelligence world, intelligence gathering and espionage uh, to some degree, th- this is how they work, though, right? Don't they always, you know, they find some, some uh, whether it's a honey trap, they find an attractive woman or they get somebody that's kind of non-suspecting and try to turn them in one way or another to get uh, to endear themselves with someone else or ingratiate themselves in one way or another so that they can have access to information they wouldn't have access to. And, and go ahead and do these things. And oftentimes they're, they're handled that way by their handlers to do these types of things. So I think that part of it makes sense from the Espionage 101 playbook from my point of view. Uh, but I, I agree that he, he was given an audience by these gamers and, and, and the like that made it that much more, I guess, uh, uh, gave him some fodder to do it some more. No, you're, you're absolutely right. And if you go through the questions, which are public record that you have to answer when you fill out the forms to get these security clearances, it's very clearly, you know, is are you or is anyone around you in any way compromised by something that you have done or that you, mm. you know, that you might do, that you might be inclined to do? Do you have a gambling problem? Do you have an alcohol problem? All of these things are, are questioned to a very strong degree. So, you know, if, if you answer honestly and you know, that that in a way is is your saving grace is if if you're answering these questions and you have a problem you you need to get it out there immediately, otherwise you can you can be blackmailed, and put yourself in the mm. kind of compromised position that you described. Right. Yeah. And uh, that makes a lot of sense. So it's clear to me that there was something or maybe several somethings fell through the cracks and allowed uh, Jack Teixeira to be in the position that he was in. Um, now when it comes to yeah, you're, something you mentioned earlier, we talk about the president. <laughs> I thought that was very funny, but very true. And, uh, same thing with Garland. You know, I, I'm no fan of Merrick Garland when he comes out and, you know, parades around as the, uh, chief law enforcement officer of the United States. Um, you know, I, I want him to represent the United States and do a good job. I just feel like he hasn't done that yet. And I don't know that he's doing it today. I think today seems more like damage control because they've been embarrassed. Um, would you agree with that statement? Or do you think that they were actively working to to stop this and there was some active mitigation? No, I mean, I think you're 100% correct. And, you know, if we think back to when Barack Obama had nominated Merrick Garland for the Supreme Court, and Mitch McConnell did what was probably his greatest service to the nation and blocked that appointment in the lead up to the election in in 2016. You know, the, the argument on the left was that Merrick Garland was a very centrist person, level headed, non-political. I think over the course of the last two and a half years, we have seen Merrick Garland, Garland be revealed rather as the most partisan attorney general in the history of the United States. He has weaponized DOJ against everyone from Donald Trump. Then that goes to all of us who might have supported Trump, 
who might not agree with DOJ on various things, it's terrifying. And so I think, I think Garland is, is emerging as one of the most partisan elements in the Biden administration and among the most dangerous. Yeah, sadly, I, th- I think you're probably right about that, uh, or at least in you know top three for sure, because um, he, he, to me, he comes across as a political hack. He doesn't come across as somebody that you know um, was uh, considered for the for the Supreme Court. And and, um, and you alluded to um, Mitch McConnell's greatest act of service, and I have to agree with you. <laughs> and I think it's great that, that he did one thing good. And uh, I hope the reports that he's retiring are true. And uh, take care, Mitch. That would be great. Uh, but going back to to this stuff, I think uh, this is this is the administration trying to clean up a mess. And if I had to speculate, and I know it's tough to speculate, but I would say uh, I don't know that this guy was doing this for for himself. Uh, It's my inclination, again, from very limited information, public reports that I've read, that this guy was probably turned by somebody somewhere, somehow, uh, maybe not on on the take for some foreign, um, you know, actor somewhere. But I feel like uh, definitely was was. A useful idiot if uh, if the shoe fits where. What do you think, Victoria Coates? Well, if you look at who was part of this this group on Discord, I mean, there were Russians, there were Ukrainians. So this isn't all just a bunch of Americans. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you miss, mix foreign nationals into a group like this, you have no idea who's on the other end of that keyboard. And we know the Russians in particular have a very active, aggressive group of folks who are moving through these various platforms mm-hmm. trying to, to exert this kind of influence exactly the way that you're, you're putting out there. And I think one of the things we haven't heard a peep out of the administration about is what, what they are doing to examine the national security implications of mm. this kind of platform. You well, know, you have these, uh, I, I have a clip. I don't want to cut you off, but, yeah. but no, I, 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 exactly what you're talking about. I've got a clip of uh, General Pat Ryder telling us exactly what they're doing to uh, to mitigate this from happening again. And I think it's laughable. I honestly do. Like, I feel like I'm watching uh, a parody of the United States instead of the actual <laughs> United States. It's terrible. I'm going to save that for when we come back from the break, because the music means that we've got to take a quick pause. But folks are coming back with uh, Victoria Coates, former deputy national security advisor to President Trump during the uh, Trump administration. And she's with the Heritage Foundation. We're coming right back. If you have a question, call us 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5 Don't move a muscle. We're just getting started. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about... How to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen.
America at Night with Rich Valdez. What is your message to anyone who might be thinking of leaking these kind of documents in the future? Um, look, again, uh, we have procedures, we have protocols in place. Uh, we receive regular training on the proper uh, handling of classified information. Uh, as I mentioned, we sign non-disclosure agreements. So those rules are very clear, and anyone who has a security clearance knows that. Anyone who violates those rules is doing so willfully. Okay, well, there you go. We're going to stop espionage and spying all across the, the fruited plain by making everybody sign an NDA. Victoria Coates, what say you? I mean, this is I mean, just deeply unfortunate. And if we think back to the Bradley Manning, now Chelsea Manning debacle yeah. over the uh, you know leaking of, of classified material where someone was pardoned by the president of the United States basically because they claimed to change gender, this, this is no longer a serious affront. People think they can get away with this. And then you add on to that, you know, the way our current president has very cavalierly stored classified material for decades in various places, as has been revealed, I think people would be excused for thinking this wasn't a major offense. So that just doesn't pass the smell test. Yeah, and I think you're you're so eloquent when you say that. I think this is a joke. I think that you have a general in uniform telling us that we have NDAs. I think most Americans who've had a corporate job at some point or another have had to fill out an NDA or if they've been involved in a lawsuit. And when you when you're being embarrassed globally by some some young person that is now a spy or at least being accused of being a spy and you know our the fact that US special forces or whatever they're alleging uh, are involved on in Ukraine and whatnot, um, all, all of that to me seems like, oh, wow, this is a big deal. And this was the answer to what steps do you have in place? Well, we have NDAs. I, I'm, I'm just, I'm beside myself right now. I don't, I'm not happy with the response that, I, that I'm hearing. And I don't know, maybe um, uh, I, I, I expected too much of my government, Victoria Coates. No, and I mean, the one good news piece is that Democrats appear to be pretty flabbergasted by this as well. And I have been honored to hold a security clearance in various different ways for about, for more than 15 years. Um, and I have always considered that a sacred trust on the part of the American people that I am allowed to see information that is restricted with the sole purpose of keeping their security safe. I mean, that, that, that's, my, that's my goal, that I'm not doing it to further my career. I'm not doing it to make myself a better person. I'm not doing it on the, on the you know, orders of a foreign government, God forbid. And I, I feel like that's getting lost here, that, that, that this is an incredible trust that you know, those of us who hold these things are being given by the American people, not by some you know, random authority. And when you when you betray that trust this way, it, it needs to be taken incredibly seriously. And to have the president on his junket in Ireland say, "Oh well, I don't think it's as big of a deal," is 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 just terribly detrimental. And and I think that's what's getting broad bipartisan condemnation across Washington tonight. Yeah, I have to agree with that. I saw a clip on CNN where a 
a for the first time in a very long time, uh, I heard a congressman, I forget his name right now, but I think he was from the East Coast and a Democrat. And he was saying he, you know, he was disappointed but not surprised that that CNN had knocked on this guy Teixeira's door minutes before the FBI did. <laughs> I thought, wow, you know, uh, that sounds like, you know, things that Trump people would say, you know, with Roger Stone and whatnot and how they, they, they I mean, it, this is an arrest for a leak and they've leaked more stuff about this arrest on a leak <laughs> telling the media to get there. And of course, it's always the same players as CNN, Washington Post. Uh, how is this defensible in any way? It really isn't. And if you look at the reporting on this story, I mean, you've had remarkably well-sourced stories from the Washington Post, from the New York Times, where you have seven bylines. If you've got seven reporters on a story, it means everybody's talking to their sources and all of their sources are talking to them. So there, something's going on within the government that is pushing this to the media before the government is pushing it out through its normal channels. So this is this is a deeply dangerous situation. And I think the potential for more of this to happen is what we have to really keep an eye out on. And and again, I would go back to these really new channels of communication and potential exposure of information that we haven't had, that we wouldn't have had to worry about five years ago but now we really do have to worry about them. Yeah, really good point. And, and in a moment, I want to circle back to what you were talking about with uh, the president in Ireland, because there's some reporting coming out saying that the uh, that Hunter Biden's firm was looking for Irish government investments while Biden was VP. And there they are again. Uh, so I want to talk about that. And, and another former Obama staffer is blowing the whistle, saying that uh, there was a kickback scheme with Hunter Biden and Burisma. So I want to get to that. But before we do, I want to quickly go to Galloway, New Jersey. W.O.N.D. Lance has a question for uh, former Deputy National Security Advisor uh, Victoria Coates from the Heritage Foundation. Lance, go right ahead. Hey, gracious. Good evening. And uh, Ms. Coates, thank you very much for being uh, sharing some clarity. But it is I have to concur with the way you're saying there's no there's, there's no accountability, there's no penalty, and everybody, I mean, going back to Lady Macbeth, Hillary Clinton, with what she did in regards to paying for the thing, nothing gets, uh, nobody gets charged. The people, the 51 people that signed that the Hunter Biden laptop was like false information, where are those people? What, what rock or, or, or a field of moss are they under? And the fact that hmm. A young kid who's playing truth or dare with his uh, gamers online can just say, hey, I'm going to up one-up you like the uh, three-tier chess set on Sheldon and the Big Bang. It's just it's absolutely a farce. To say that our, our country, our, you know, this paramount octopus of a government has an intelligence, groups of intelligence agency is a farce. It's just unbelievable that no one, is held accountable except some young neophyte that thought he could get away with it because nobody else has. I mean, if Comey can go in and then leak everything when he spoke, when he duped the president because the president thinks he's an honorable man, well, I got news for you. There's not too many honorable people, and there's just a bunch of, I don't know, it's, it's really tragic, mm. that patriotism. And, 
has fallen like diseased, and everybody thinks yeah. it's a big joke, and it's it's a shame. So, I my motto is if you're in, if you're in intelligence, a closed mouth gathers no feet. But uh, unfortunately, <laughs> people think they can get away with anything, and they want more than just 15 seconds of fame. And again, the Democratic Party and the media, the national, uh, you know, brand media like NPR. They will take a crisis and mouth and just mimic it, whatever the, the government says. And that guy saying, we got all these things in there. I know people that are former NSA agents that they had to sign a paper that if somebody came into the room, they were neutralized right then and there. Thank you, Lance. I appreciate it. Uh, Victoria Coates. Well, Lance, I mean, thank you. And I'm from the same neck of the woods, so I appreciate the call. But you're 100% correct. Nobody's been held accountable for anything in either the Obama or the Biden administrations. And you go back to, you know, who paid for the dossier under the Clinton campaign? Nobody's asked that question. Everybody wants to creep all over President Trump over, you know, what may or may not have happened with Stormy Daniels. But we know the Clinton campaign paid for the dossier. Has anyone looked for that check? No. And then you fast forward to the Biden administration. Is anyone accountable for the Hunter Biden situation for Afghanistan? Nobody gets fired for anything. People just get promoted. And you know, we are we are creating this culture in which this, you know, this becomes permissible behavior. So I think I think Lance, you're spot on. All right. Uh, we're going to take a quick pause here. When we come back, uh, Victoria Coates, we're going to get your re- uh, reaction to Mike McCormick, former Obama stenographer, uh, telling Ashley Strohmeyer on Fox, Strohmeyer, excuse me, on Fox, that Biden is a criminal. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. You know, Mike, my biggest question is, you said the FBI has been ignoring you. It's, it's no secret right now that people don't have a lot of faith in the FBI. Would you tell them and would they say back to you? Well, that's, that's a great question, Ashley. Um, I came across this story back in October. I published it in my Substack. My Substack is Midnight in a Laptop of Good and Evil. I didn't hear much about it. In February, I went to the FBI and filed one of their tips on their website. If you do that and you're lying to them, you go to jail. I'm not lying. I'm telling the truth and I'm not going to jail. Joe Biden is a criminal. He was conducting malfeasance in office to enrich his family. Jake Sullivan is a conspirator in that. And there's more uh, there's more Obama officials involved in it, I believe. Wow. Uh, He didn't mince any words there on on this story. And this is a guy that worked for Obama. Uh, so, again, uh, I don't know if I should trust him as far as I can throw him, but Victoria Coates, former national uh, deputy national security advisor in the Trump years and um, fellow at the Heritage Foundation. What say you? Well, it just seems to me that you you're seeing more of what you consider the more traditional Obama world distancing themselves from the Biden family 
yeah. business, which, I mean, is, is far more I mean, pervasive than we had understood. I mean, we, we have the reports that Hunter Biden's business, uh, Rosemont Seneca, had been looking to do business with the, uh, the government of Ireland during the time that, that Joe was vice president. Now Hunter is on Air Force One arriving in Ireland to refresh all of those contacts. And, and nobody's supposed to even ask a question. Everybody's right. shocked if you even raise it because this is the president tracing his roots with right. his sister and his son. <laughs> Which is all fine and well, Rich, but why are we paying for five days of this? When was the last time an American president spent five straight days in a European country? Yeah, it, you, you it got me. I happened. can't remember that. <laughs> no, I don't I think I've ever seen being, it happen. <laughs> no, I remember being in Paris with President Trump in 2018. We were there for 36 hours. In, out. You, you go, you do your thing, you're done. And and it's it, there's no leisure, there's no none of this parading about. It's it's a shocking misuse of taxpayer funds, but even worse, it appears to be in the service of the Biden family business. And what I find interesting is, you know, this guy seems credible. Uh, you know, his you know malfeasance in office uh, allegation, and and labels Jake Sullivan as a conspirator, which wouldn't surprise me. Uh, but I, I just find the whole thing interesting that nobody grabs onto this. Like the FBI doesn't say even like, all right, we, we take everything seriously. We're going to look into that. And you know, like nothing like uh, there's there's no response. Where's where is um, what's his name? Pat Ryder saying, you know, we have an NDA for that. You know, I, I just I don't understand. We're so busy looking at at Clarence Thomas and his vacation habits. And uh, we're, you know, while Biden's doing this stuff right under our noses and we're not getting anywhere. What do you think the outcome of this will be? Well, right now, I mean, I agree with you. I mean, what's going on with the Thomases is is shameful. I mean, this they have been persecuted as a couple for decades. And, you know, they have done absolutely nothing wrong. Harlan Crow has done nothing wrong. And, you know, on the other side of the ledger, we have this, I mean, show me, show me where, Clarence Thomas was on Air Force One trying to go enrich his family. You know, that has never happened. It's happening in front of our eyes right now with the Bidens, and they've just gotten a pass for the last 40 years. And so I think the American people need to realize that that this is is their president right now. You know, this is their president sort of good name that's being bandied bandied about. And, you know, given the president's very cavalier attitude toward these security leaks that we've just had, we all have to be very concerned that he's worried about his family. He's not worried about us. Yeah, good point. And uh, we'll leave it there. Folks, former Deputy National Security Advisor to President Trump and Senior Research Fellow at the Heritage Foundation, Victoria Coates, uh, Victoria Coates, let everybody know how they could uh, keep up to speed with the work that you're doing. Well, thank you, Richard. Uh, at heritage.org, you can find me or on Twitter at Victoria Coates. Um, that's easy enough. All right, folks, give her a follow and check out her page uh, at the Heritage website. Great work coming out of Heritage always and, and, and nonetheless from Victoria Coates. Thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate it. Hope to speak with you again soon.
Thank you. Anytime. You bet. All right, folks, more to come straight ahead, your calls and more as we continue our journey across the nation. I am Rich Valdez. We're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America, welcome back. Your calls, 833-482-5337-833, the number four, Valdez, and that is Valdez with an S, or chime in online at Rich Valdez with an S. And if you want to stream this show or tell somebody who's not near a radio to check it out, it's RichValdezAmericaAtNight.com. Let's go to Randall calling from Naples, Florida, WGUF. Randall, go right ahead. Welcome. You're on with Rich hey, Valdez. Rich, uh, Rich, thanks for allowing me to talk on your show. I appreciate yes, it. Yes, sir. You bet. Go right ahead. Great. Yeah, well, so thank goodness we have talk radio because Amen. you don't have this kind of spectrum anywhere else in uh, the everyday media, of course. And my only comment would be that because you do have this venue of, of this talk radio, it, it should be talked about, I think, uh, every chance we get that the in, insidious infiltration of the Communist Party on the left, that would be the Democratic Party, has now infiltrated uh, pretty much all of the media. Um, mm-hmm. It's infiltrated some of our most esteemed establishments in this country, uh, and, and now the government. And and so uh, rather than bicker over this, what I would consider um, argue arguable points about transgenderism, um, you know, all, all of the issues that we, we talk about daily that are changing in this country, those are all promulgated by the communist infiltration. They said they would do this in the communist 100%. manifesto. You're right. The tenets of the communist manifesto dictate that that's what they'll do, and we're watching it happen. So it needs to be reiterated at every chance we get to illuminate the fact that we're not we're not infighting, we're fighting the communist infiltration of this country. And yeah, that, re- that really is well said. what my comment Well, I, I, I agree with you. Listen, I totally agree with you. And uh, every year, uh, at least once a year, I go back to a, a Soviet defector named Yuri Bezmenov. And uh, he you know, famously gave this talk about um, demoralizing America through um, subversion, ideological subversion. And again, this was back in the 80s, and he, he defected from the Soviet Union to Canada. He's dead now, but back in the days, he'd given some really good talks, and I have some really good audio, and he, he talks about this four-step plan. And I, I might do that on, on the separate podcast that we do called This Is America with Rich Valdez, because it to me, you're right. It, it, it bears repeating. Um, it's so important, and we have to learn from those that have gone before us. Randall, thanks for the call. Excellent insight. Naples, Florida, WGUF. And uh, we will continue our conversation on the other side of this. Don't go anywhere. It's Rich Valdez, America at Night, and we're talking about wokeness. Don't go anywhere.
live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media, and you're welcome to join our late-night national town hall. We're live on hundreds of stations across America, and I'm looking forward to speaking with you all, and you, uh, if you want to chime in on the conversation with our guest, you're welcome to do that as well. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ, or you can uh, drop us a quick line, um, whether it's friendly or not, I'll take it either way, on uh, social media, at Rich Valdez with an S. Now, I want to talk about just a couple of quick headlines, because as you know, this guy, Jack Teixeira, he was locked up for being a spy for espionage. And uh, we're going to see how that, you know, continues to play out. Uh, Trump was in New York City today, and he called Letitia James, the attorney general of the state of New York, uh, and her lawsuit ridiculous. And there's now legislation to defund the Manhattan District Attorney's Office. Uh, It's been introduced by Representative Andy Biggs and House Republicans. Uh, They're saying that there's an abuse of power going on and they're not going to have any part of it. And uh, he says that they're interfering in his election, in his in his investigation, which is interfering in the election. It's an interesting uh, chain of events that's going on there. Of course, uh, Biden is in Ireland and he's managed to insult the British. He's making bizarre comments about the Pentagon leaks. (laughs) And uh, he had an interesting interaction with the uh, the first dog of Ireland, if you will. (laughs) So we'll get to that a little bit later. And what I wanted to talk about right now is the Day of Silence. Now, some people may not know what the Day of Silence is, and I'm part of that some people. I didn't know what was going on. But uh, we have an expert that's going to tell us what's going on. Leanne O'Neill, she's Managing Director of Legal Advocacy at the Foundation Against Intolerance and Racism. And she's our guest, and she's with us right now. Leanne O'Neill, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's my pleasure. So let's talk about the oh, two things I want to just, you know, to set the stage. I'd like you to tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about your organization, FAIR, mm-hmm. FAIR, and, uh, and what and how it came about this day of silence. Sure. Um, so I work for the Foundation Against Intolerance and Racism. Um, we're FAIR for short, much shorter to refer to us that way. Um, and we're a nonpartisan organization and we're dedicated to advancing civil rights and liberties for all Americans. Um, and we really strongly um, take aim at promoting a common culture based on fairness, understanding, and humanity. Um, we're still a pretty young organization founded in March of 2021. Um, and we um, do a lot of work in education, in um, the legal sphere, of course, medicine, um, and the arts as well. Um, And so, oh, yeah, go ahead. No, I'm just saying, perfect. I I, I get the gist of that. And uh, you were going to go on to tell us about uh, how um, the, I don't know what GLSEN stands for, but I'm guessing you do, and you could tell us why they've started this Day of Silence. 
Sure. So Gelson um, is an organization that's dedicated to sort of raising up the voices um, and supporting LGBT youth. Um, and the Day of Silence was started in the 90s. Um, and it was, I kind of like to refer to it as like an, an OG 90s kind of protest that um, is obviously very well intentioned. And Unfortunately, what we've seen, what's been reported to us on FairTransparency.org, that's our anonymous reporting site, it's been reported to us by several parents from a particular school in New York that the day of silence has turned into something um, more pernicious, um, that it's not being used appropriately, that um, when the, the school has set out to engage in the day of protest and the day of silence, that um, it's really turned into bullying um, students who don't wish to participate. Um, so the Day of Silence was originally started to um, protest the silencing of LGBT students. And the idea is that students take a vow of silence for an entire day while at school. Um, they also wear all black. Um, there are kind of other ways that they can show their support and participation via their online classrooms and things like that. Um, and so it appears to have gone on for decades, um, you know, in a really nice way and kind of helped, you know, progress the common humanity among all of the students who are participating in it. Um, but most recently, we've received these reports about, like I said, about the school in New York, where it sounds like things aren't going exactly how they might have been intended. What kind of problems um, with respect to bullying and whatnot are you seeing? So interestingly, instead of um, the students that are meant to be supported by the Day of Silence being bullying, it's the students who have chosen not to participate. Um, I don't know about you. I have kids. Um, I don't think any yeah. of them could remain quiet for an entire day at school. Um, so <laughs> I know I can't. I, <laughs> oh, my gosh. I could never. Um, the reasons for not wanting to participate um, or to stay, stay silent all day at school, I think, um, it doesn't really matter why a student doesn't want to do that, but there are obviously various reasons you can think of why that might be the case. For one, it's extremely challenging to engage in a full day of active learning, I think, while remaining silent. Um, but the students ha who haven't participated have grown so fearful over the years of being bullied and called bigots and homophobes and transphobes that um, we've gotten reports of students begging to stay home from school on the day of silence, which is tomorrow. Wow. It's so fascinating to me that, you know, years ago, liberals were, I don't know, synonymous with tolerance. And it was about, you know, you have to be tolerant to these other views. And they tried to paint those that were less liberal or conservatives or, you know, didn't agree with them as the intolerant bunch. But it seems to me that it's the exact opposite. And it, I think it always was, but it's more evident now than ever. And I opened today's program asking if, you know, those uh, to the left of center or Democrats or whatnot, uh, if they're embracing anarchy and lawlessness. And, and it does seem that way. And while I, I hate to draw it on political lines, it, it just it just seems to be going that way. And they seem to be quite OK with ostracizing people, violence, shouting people down. And, and um, you know, this I'm going to go with fascism <laughs> with utilizing, uh, you know, at least fascistic tendencies in in their approach to silencing their opposition. And I just think it's crazy. Um, do you think I'm 
being heavy handed here? Or does that seem accurate? You know, I don't, I've grown so skeptical and have such a hard time wrapping my brain around what labels can be affixed to left or right or center. Um, I really feel like all that's left are principles. Um, I don't feel like any party, <laughs> any party resembles itself anymore. Um, what it, what you might have historically associated with a party. Um, and, you know, one of the things that we spend a ton of time on in our, in our work at FAIR is upholding First Amendment rights. And something like the Day of Silence is rooted in the right of students in their First Amendment right to peacefully protest at school, right? They're allowed to do this in public school. They have a constitutional right to do it. And so to see it turned on its head, where now the equal constitutional right to refuse to participate or to sure. not want to participate is being trampled on is just extremely bizarre and disheartening to me because it really sort of the way it looks to me is that the progress that's been made over the decades with something like the day of silence is being eroded by the day of silence. Right. Right. Yeah. I, 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 I can uh, totally understand that. So when, when you write this letter that I know you sent a, a letter to the principal's, at uh, the school that you were talking about, what's the response been to your uh, advocacy? So we did get a response from lawyers representing the school, and um, we're you know very encouraged to be engaged in conversation with the with the school and with their representation. So that is fantastic, um, and we've been assured that they have. Well, one of the key things is they've assured us that this is a student led event. Um, and that they have all of the protocols and policies in place to ensure that students who choose not to participate in the protest tomorrow will not be bullied or harassed and that they will be able to have, you know, a normal day at school. Um, however, we've gotten new information lately, um, just this week, that it, while it's being called a student-led protest, um, it's very much being led by the advisors of one of the student clubs, um, so much so that they even played a video in the homeroom classes yesterday where it was a teacher talking and explaining how to participate in the in the day of silence and um, how if you're not participating, the rules you should follow and not bully the students who are participating. There was nothing in the video about how to be respectful of the students who've chosen not to participate. Um, so I'm sort of disheartened by that. Um, and, you know, I, I want to really give them the benefit of the doubt. And my hope is that with our letter and that the response we've gotten from the attorneys representing the school, that maybe this year will be different. Um, so I'm very much crossing my fingers and hoping for the best tomorrow for these students. All right. And let everybody know how they can find out more about the work that FAIR is doing and uh, everything else uh, with respect to the the organization and your mission. Sure. Um, yeah, like I said, we're, so we're a nonpartisan organization, and we stand up for civil rights and liberties for all, for all Americans. Um, and our website is fairforall.org. And you can visit us there and see the legal advocacy work that we do, the education work that we do, um, and all of the different ways that people are able to get involved to volunteer with us. 
And um, for people who need help and who need someone to be a voice for them, you know, so many parents, employees are terrified to speak up in the institutions they're in mm. when they've seen this intolerant ideology is taking over. Um, and we're happy to be that voice for them. And we have fairtransparency.org. That's our anonymous reporting site. And um, users can go there and let us know about something that's happened, if there's been some kind of injustice, some kind of civil rights violation, and we can do everything we can to take up that cause on their behalf. All right. Leanne O'Neill, Managing Director of Legal Advocacy at the Foundation Against Intolerance and Racism. Uh, keep fighting for fairness and for free speech. It sounds like you're, you're doing excellent work, and I wish you Godspeed. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. Thank you very you much. Bet. It's my pleasure. More to come straight ahead. We're going to discuss what's going on with Elon Musk and NPR. Uh, the, the, the saga continues where uh, he first said that they were state-run media and now they're firing back saying, we're out of here. We don't want to be on Twitter anyway. Talk about uh, taking your ball and going home with it. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Listen to you, Rich, all the time. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S. And um, NPR, they quit Twitter because they were angry about Elon Musk saying that they were state-run media, government-funded media, and put a label on them. And um, the war continues with PBS now joining that fight. Right. Uh, saying, yeah, no, we're, we're out of here, too. <laughs> so uh, bring up the speed on that. The uh, public broadcasting service, they've joined NPR and dumping Twitter after Musk slapped them with this government funded media label. And to me, this, in my opinion, it seems like they've played right into his hand. Right. So Twitter's always been the place that was kind of created by these people. And when I say these people, I mean the uh, media elites, right? The Silicon Valley elites, they came together. They said, we're going to make a place where all the news will break on Twitter. And it always has. And we've had entire, you know, movements like the Arab Spring and so many things that Twitter was central to. So Musk comes in and they're like, you know, they're reticent and and they're reluctant as well to say you know we want we want to bounce but we're going to stick around because it's still it's still twitter and what are we going to do join mastodon or one of these other platforms that just they really don't compete with twitter even the ones that compete with twitter don't compete with twitter at the level that that they you know they could twitter is just massive so and it's it's for the most part there's very little kinks there's very little bug bugs um everything seems to work most of the time so all that being said, he says, all right, look, I'm not going to silence anybody. You know, I'm just going to put a label on you, you know, playing the game that they played, you know, like the, the one that they play at Instagram, the one they play at Facebook with the labels and blurring things so people, you know, saying this was checked by independent fact checkers who aren't independent at all and don't check any facts. And he says they're government funded media, which uh, in in all actuality, at least in some partiality, is true. 
and uh, voila, they say, we're out of here. What did they just do? Well, they just cut their reach, right? I mean, they have reach with podcasts that they do. NPR creates, you know, tons of podcasts, and they reach a lot of people, and they're on the air on all those stations that they're on. Um, I don't think they rival conservative talk radio, but whatever, they're there. And it's fascinating to me that they would opt to leave this bastion that they created themselves in Twitter just because of their angst with Elon Musk. So I just find that to be an interesting, um, an interesting play here on their part. Um, I don't know where they're going to go. Say, join us on Facebook. PBS uh, could probably pull that off because they might have an older audience, and I think there's an older audience on on Facebook. But the podcast crowd is is you know it was initially geared at a younger crowd, and uh, there's young people on Twitter, so. I think they, this is a loss for them. This is, you know, they're not standing up for what's right here. I think they really lose here. And uh, I don't think it was smart. That's just my thought. But um, I'll give you a couple of quotes here. <clears throat> NPR's organizational council will no longer be active on Twitter because the platform is taking actions that undermine our credibility by falsely implying that we are not editorially independent. That's a statement from NPR. Uh, Let's see. I think it goes on. We're not putting our journalism on platforms that have demonstrated an interest in undermining our credibility and the public's understanding of our editorial independence. We're turning away from Twitter, but not from our audience and communities. There are plenty of ways to stay connected and keep up with NPR news, uh, music, and cultural content. Musk uh, appeared to mock the situation when responding to a report about PBS and NPR's uh, following the NPR lead. And he, he writes, publicly funded PBS joins publicly funded NPR in leaving Twitter in a huff about being labeled publicly funded. <laughs> it's, it's part of why he was richest guy in the world for a while, because uh, he's a clever guy and he's funny. So that's the story with that. Uh, and we'll see how that continues to uh, to play out. Now that everybody's jumping on that bandwagon, uh, I don't know. But it looks like 50-plus accounts are, uh, are leaving because of their uh, government-funded affiliation. And uh, they're upset about it. So, all right. Hey, hasta la vista, right? What are you going to do? Anyway, don't go anywhere. We've got more coming up. Uh, if this were a court case, it would be parents versus woke teachers. You don't want to miss it. It's America at Night with me, Rich Valdez, and we're going to talk about that straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. Just a reminder, um, we are going to be starting to take your calls uh, in Open Phone America at the top of the next hour, and there might be a preview of that coming up 
closer to the the end of this half hour. So, uh, of course, you can also join uh, the conversation with our guest. And I wanted to um, direct your attention to a video that was put out by uh, former President Trump in his campaign for 2024, where he outlined his plan for what a United States Department of Education would look like on his watch. Listen to this. No serious country should be telling its children that they were born with the wrong gender, a concept that was never heard of in all of human history. Nobody's ever heard of this, what's happening today. My Department of Education will inform states and school districts that if any teacher or school official suggests to a child that they could be trapped in the wrong body, they will be faced with severe consequences, including potential civil rights violations. I will ask Congress to pass a bill establishing that the only genders recognized by the United States government are male and female, and they are assigned at birth. So that is uh, Trump's plan, one that I think resonates with a lot of people, especially parents who have children in school and have had to deal with the threat uh, of potentially being labeled a domestic violent extremist or a domestic terrorist because of their involvement in their child's education. And this, to me, continues to be one of the biggest issues that we see at play on a regular basis. And to help us make sense of what's going on, because school districts continue to keep secrets from parents, uh, is Karen England. She's president of the Capital Resource Institute, and she's here with us. Karen England, welcome to the program. Hey, thank you for having me. You're welcome. So let's um, discuss what is going on in California. I know there's a lot of things coming uh, out of the California State Assembly, and uh, not the least of which is uh, Assembly Bill 10 1078. Tell us how that works out. Well, 1078, which first let me say to all your listeners, what happens in California sure. doesn't stay in California. That's this true. gender stuff has been going on for quite some time there. It's just now everywhere else, you know, the schools have caught on. But 1078, um, a lot of people don't realize in a lot of the blue states, we have some red counties. And there are a lot of red counties that uh, school boards were taken over this last election. And so they're going in and they are getting rid of CRT and they are making it easier for parents to challenge obscene books in the library. And they, they saw this happening throughout California. So they introduced a bill, 1078, that says, hey, by the way, uh, you can't do this at the local level anymore. You have to go to the state board of education uh, in California to get any of that done. Um, so we're fighting that. Looks like we might win that. But I think that's going to be the move for some of the blue states where we've taken over the school boards, you know, Michigan, that kind of thing, where they're just going to try and enforce it at the state level. So we're all going to have to really pay attention. And um, this is also is a victory to show in a state like California, locally, people were able to change things so much so that they're introducing legislation to make it stop. And. We're talking about critical race theory, critical gender theory, and, and a lot of just very um, um, provocative um, teaching that, that's going on. Tell us how teachers are, or at least certain school districts, are promoting the idea of keeping secrets from parents. Well, I love that you use the word provocative because that's really what it is. 
Um, teachers, and I'm telling you, your listeners, this is happening in red states as well. Um, it's happening in North Carolina. Uh, there are parents suing everywhere over this. But schools actually believe that they should be keeping a, the secret, if your child is transitioning, that they're going to keep that a secret from the parent because the parent might not approve of it. And schools are doing it all over. I heard of another story today where in Maine they had bought the daughter chest binders, and they, they at school will call them by the other name if they want to call them a different gender. Yeah. Today the story I heard, this was a Democrat mom, and she was just livid that the school was doing this. So parents need to know what's going on, but there, there's a whole list of states. I, I will say we sent out an email the other day listing all of these different red states. We chose to pick the red states, Iowa, um, Idaho, where school districts have policies to not tell the parents if the child is transitioning K through 12. Well, you know what's happening, what I see happening in Idaho is you take, this is a very red state that it has slowly but surely began to receive a lot of Californian refugees. And, uh, it's changing. It's becoming purpler. I'm sure the our friends in Idaho would disagree with me, but that's what it looks like from my standpoint. And I think that's what they do um, in, in a lot of places. This is how you get a Beto O'Rourke in a place like Texas or or um, the, the type of politicians that we've seen come out of Colorado in recent years, which was, you know, 20 years ago, a red state. Well, I'm going to push back a tiny bit. Um, Colorado sure. was was. Um, a red state, and they did have the Tim Gill, the the blueprint for Colorado, where that was a test yeah. case for people to go in. The de- the left went into, and they were very successful. Um, they did that a little bit in other states over religious freedom. But I've been to to Coeur d'Alene and have have spoken. This was like three years ago, and I had pulled some information that their local school district in Coeur d'Alene had changed the definition of gender two years prior. So that would have been five years ago. Um, one of the things, because I'm at our office right now in Clarksville, Tennessee, mm-hmm. which is a reddest county in a, in a red state. And what I see happening, um, and again, from California, people are afraid I'm bringing my politics, but I'm the one trying to alert everyone that, hey, it's going on here. It's just this incrementalism that you're not seeing that I'm able right. to see and that, that we're trusting our red state elected officials and they're oblivious to it because they think it could never happen here. So that one of the things that I'm just very passionate about is that people in red states need to know they, the left, they, they've always been far ahead of us on the ground. They're coming in through the side door in red states because they know they can't come top down. And so they're doing it bottom up and they're doing these policies at the local school district. They're donating. They have a big push to donate the graphic obscene books to the red county and red state libraries. And so there's a focus and they just do it from the bottom up because they think, oh, everyone thinks their schools are safe in the red, red states, but, but they're not really. Gotcha. So, so what you're saying is that my assessment wasn't accurate, that Idaho is red, that they're not as red as many of us think it might be. Um, okay, this is terrible. You'll never have me on again because I said you, you weren't correct. No, I just think it's, I think they are. I think the progressives are so active and that the red legislators and people don't really see it coming because they're, right. they're feeling safe. 
But the progressives right. are so so organized on the ground that that's where they're pushing it. And so in order to keep things red, we need to open up our eyes and we need to go, you know what? No, not in my state. You're not going to California, Tennessee, or you're not going to California, Idaho. And and that's what right. we need or, to or do. Or even is, Colorado, we're not which safe. we talked about. Right. I think yep. you know, the whole Jared Polis, the Four Horsemen, the Blueprint, I think that that is a, a scary scenario that should wake up a lot of people because – if it happened there, it could happen in a lot of places. And when you have places like Austin in Texas and, and wherever um, Beto O'Rourke is from and uh, El Paso, it, it just seems like there there's a, a concerted effort amongst people who are willing to forego having children, who don't want to have families, who are willing to pick up and go to wherever they're told to go. Uh, you know, To me, it's hard to fight an enemy uh, or an adversary, if you will, that, you know, for me, right? I was 21 years old. I got married, I think, at 22 um, and I had two kids very soon after that. So that, that was my path in life and I wasn't going anywhere. I stayed right here in New Jersey and raised my kids and did what I had to do. You couldn't pay me to, to move across the state cause I wanted to be close to my parents and the rest of my family. That was my MO in life. And yet it, when you have folks on the progressive left that are saying, no, forget this family thing. I'm willing to go, you know, live in wherever I've got to live. You know, if I have to couch surf for a while, I will. But I'll go there and do all the activism that's necessary to to turn the reddest of counties blue, even if it's just on a certain issue. And it sounds like you're seeing that happen and and we're seeing that happen uh, on a national level and not enough actions being taken. Does that sound right? That, I would say, is exactly right. And look at what happened in Nashville. You mentioned Austin, Nashville, Boise, Idaho is another one that's very turning very blue in a red state because mm-hmm. they've gotten very active there. And then they send their activists out from those, those centers. I mean, again, Nashville's been, where's the manifesto? We're not talking about Christian kids being slaughtered in a school. Right. I mean, we're not... Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, within 24 hours, the word transgender, no one is saying it. it it's just frightening when you were playing the, the Trump, President Trump's clip. Who would have thought five years ago a presidential right. candidate needed to say that? I mean, really right. think about it. Would we have would we thought somebody's crazy talking like that? But it needs to be said. They're trying to transition our kids without, a, you know, without us knowing in the third grade. Excellent point. Uh, Stand by. We're going to take a quick pause right here. We're going to come right back to Karen England. Uh, She's with us live, and she's the president of Capital Resource Institute. And uh, we're going to continue this discussion, plus your calls and everything else that's coming straight ahead. So don't go anywhere. It's America at Night with me, Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. With the enactment of a new law in Indiana, 14 states have now banned gender-affirming health care, while some of these laws are currently blocked by courts. This is a dangerous, a dangerous attack on the rights of parents to make the best health care decisions for their own kids. According to the Human Rights Campaign, 
more than 50% of transgender youth in the U.S., which is estimated to be more than 150,000 kids, live in states in which transgender youth have lost access to or at risk of losing access to gender-affirming care. Look, this is awful news. Let's be very clear about that. LGBTQI plus kids are resilient. They are fierce. They fight back. They're not going anywhere. And we have their back. This administration has their back. So Corrine Jean-Pierre thinks that this is an assault and it's dangerous. Uh, uh, some very dangerous affront on the rights of parents. Now, she says it's an affront on the rights of parents to provide gender-affirming care. I think that overall this movement uh, is an affront on the rights of parents to be parents and interferes with their natural rights to be able to be parents. Our guest is Karen England. She is the president of Capital Resource Institute and uh, I don't know, a week ago maybe, like last Friday or last Saturday, one day last week, I was uh, uh, doing a television segment on a topic coming out of California. And it was uh, another bill that was being proposed where they were going to allow uh, school psychologists uh, slash other qualified personnel, which remained to be uh, you know, spelled out very clearly who these other personnel were, but in effect to any child older than 12 years old that felt like they didn't feel um, safe going home because they couldn't express their gender or whatever and what have you, uh, could in effect be removed from the home like like a child protection officer would. And this would reside, this power would be given to educators. And I thought this is, this is an affront uh, and an assault on the rights of parents to be parents. Karen England, what say you? Oh, absolutely. That bill is continuing to go through the California legislature and it will get to the governor's desk. And I think he will sign it. The other bill that they have on this gender affirming care that I think is an assault on parents is giving preferential treatment in a, in, in a divorce for custody to the parent that's what they call affirming the gender. I say it's assaulting the child's gender. And I would think, you know, listening to that clip, it just reminded me, one would think, that, you know, an alien watching from above, that, that the President Biden only cares about gender transitioning kids. He's constantly talking about it. She's talking about it. They're coming out with policy after policy on it. And it is such a detrimental thing to our children. Over 85% of kids who, who are struggling with their gender, between 85 and 93% after they come out of it through puberty, realign with their gender. This idea mm-hmm. that we have to start feeding them with hormones and changing. Keep in mind, hormones were to delay for a year or two this, this hormonal um, hesitancy, not for you to be on it for life and to change your gender, because you can't change your gender. It is so unhealthy for our kids. And four of the last uh, shooters in the last five months have been transgender or gender nonconforming. You don't hear that in the mainstream media. This is not healthy for our, for our kids and for our society. And to tell a parent you either give them these drugs or it's suicide, that is a false choice, and we need to stand up against it. 100% accurate. You keep fighting for what we're going to call parent-affirming rights <laughs> because I think children need Oh, I love need that. that. There you go. We've coined the phrase. We'll use it together, and 
and uh, inform as many Americans as we can. Karen Anglin, president of Capital Resource Institute. Uh, Karen, let everybody know how they can find you and keep up to speed with the work you're doing. Well, you can go to capitalresource.org or porninschools.org. We're doing a lot to help parents get library books out. We do. We help nationwide. So if you've got a parental rights problem or a religious freedom problem in your school district, let us know. We'll come in and help. Uh, we want to. It, it's hard sometimes for parents to stand up at the local school yeah. district level and reclaim their rights. So we want to come alongside them and they can borrow some courage from us. We'll take the arrows and, and we'll try and get things changed. We've got to take back our, our, our schools. These are our children, our schools. Outstanding, Karen England, capitalresource.org. Godspeed to you. Thanks for being with us. Hope to do it again soon. Hey, thank you. You bet. All right, folks, your calls and more straight ahead. We're continuing to talk about what's happening in the culture, what's going on with wokeism, and the rest of the news of the day. By the way, where's Hunter? We'll be right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. this article um and and here is the headline a gay teacher tried to help lgbtq students feel included only for them to turn on him when he failed to endorse their gender ideology educators warning from a rural comprehensive um perspective where kids seem to shop for sexualities and change pronouns weekly that was his perspective that that was what was going on. And I'll give you a little bit of this before uh, we kick off open phones. But um, the the teacher was saying that it wasn't like they were at camp. It was like there were insecure kids that somehow found it easier to dress as girls than simply say that they were gay. Interesting article. I'll tweet it out. It's about a week old, two weeks old maybe. Um, but uh, I thought fit in line with what we were talking about. And... It, it is interesting how people that might have other issues where they, they could develop in, in different areas, whether it's, you know, being less shy, being more extroverted, you know, whatever, self-esteem boosting capacity, um, they're finding being trans as a, as a way to cope, but it's not necessarily who they are. And that could be dangerous. Anyway, uh, more to come straight ahead. It is Open Phone America, 833-4-VALDEZ. You can start calling now. We'll be right back. Open Phone America starts right now with me, Rich Valdez. Can't wait. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night 
with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, hour number three, Open Phone America, and it's always my pleasure to be with you guys. I always want to thank you, and I probably don't thank you enough, uh, everybody that's listening. I, we, we get some amazing feedback from the listeners, and I'm so grateful for it, and grateful to be with you in your car, your home, your job, streaming from all over the place at Rich Valdez, com, and uh, really grateful for it. And I just wanted to give a big shout out to you, the listener. If you want to join our national conversation here late night, live and national, go right ahead and do it. Pick up the phone, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDES. And I want to talk about a few things, but I really want to talk to you guys because at the end of each show, I always find that there's people on hold that wanted to get on and be heard, and I want you to have that opportunity, so... The earlier you call in, the the quicker we can get to those calls and um, try to keep it brief so that everybody gets a chance. But I do want to talk about the uh, arrest of this gentleman, uh, Mr. Jack Teixeira. He is the Pentagon leaker. You know, he's been uh, the alleged Pentagon leaker. And some are saying, oh, he's just a kid. He's just a kid that goes on these websites and talks about gaming and blah, blah, blah. I say BS, bravo, Sierra. He's not just a kid. He's a spy, in my opinion. This is how it works, right? They always recruit young people to do these things. And I don't think that we should take this uh, lightly in any way. I really don't. I think that we should uh, be very careful about this and pay close attention to what's going on here, right? Bud Light continues to um, lose. Listen to this now. They've lost billions of dollars. I didn't know that the number was that high. Let's take a look at this one real quick. Uh, because apparently Anheuser-Busch has reportedly lost $5 billion in market value after partnering with Dylan Mulvaney. So if they lost $5 billion, I'm wondering what they're paying him. Because, I mean, not a bad gig, honestly. You know, I grew up watching my dad drink Budweiser. <laughs> I think they'd be a great sponsor. But don't, don't do the go woke, go broke thing because that's not a good look. Uh, but the beer giant reportedly has seen its market value decrease by $5 billion in recent weeks. Why? Well, because Budweiser's marketing and uh, marketing vice president for Bud Light, Alyssa Heinerscheid, she said the goal was to evolve and elevate. We played that audio for you the other day. And uh, uh, I guess she was wrong, right? <laughs> it seems she was wrong. A lot of people took exception to that. Speaking of taking exception, somebody uh, dropped a comment on the social media saying, you know, um, one of the guests we had on was a uh, QAnon conspiracy person and uh, that it, they felt it was their duty to, you know, leave a multi-paragraph comment on Facebook. And again, I welcome them to, to do that. But... Uh, all I said was, you know, I did respond and I said, hey, look, um, I don't really, we didn't talk about this guy's QAnon beliefs. I mean, I happen to be a Christian and uh, I don't necessarily always talk about my beliefs. You know, we talk about the news of the day and different things. And with the uh, guest that we had on, we talked about his country music song about beer, and, like right beer right now, which I thought was very apropos. 
uh, given the Bud Light controversy. And uh, he had his opinions about certain things. But uh, that was the gist of the interview. And you could always find it at richvaldezamericaatnight.com if you want to listen to it. But I just thought, isn't it interesting how if, you know, if somebody disagrees with something you say, and look, I'm not a QAnon person. I've lost plenty of friends, you know, family members, followers, you name it, listeners that are just like, you know what, Rich, I liked you until you said something bad about Q. Uh, well, guess I, I think Putin is Q. How about that? And I've, ne- I've never liked these, these anonymous, fake, phony, fraud, you know, uh, leakers. That's really, in my opinion, all they are. Whether it's the CIA, whether it's Putin, whether it's Bradley Manning, Chelsea Manning, Edward Snowden, Julian Assange, or today's new addition, Mr. Jack Teixeira, right? Which is a Portuguese uh, last name, by the way. And I, I really don't care. I don't care. I think, you know, follow the rules and that's it. There's no need to, we don't leak in the name of doing the right thing, or we don't leak in the name of trying to, to save America. It's not how you save America, by leaking information so that the uh, the Russians can get their hands on it. And the other way we don't save America is by idolizing the Russians, just to make that uh, abundantly clear. So anyway, let's go back to Bud Light. And uh, and they've apparently lost their their uh, market share to the tune of $5 billion. Five billion dollars. <laughs> if you're a fan of Austin Powers, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If not, you're thinking, what is wrong with him? Is he hitting the sauce again while he's on the radio? No, I'm a fan of Austin Powers. Anyway, uh, a couple of things I wanted to go over here. Uh, headlines. The, uh, after the arrest that we already talked about, Trump shows up in New York today. He's getting deposed again. And... Uh, He says that Letitia James is ridiculous for leaking the time and place of his deposition, but he handled it like a champ and just greeted crowds doing what Trump does. They, you know, he's like a step ahead of them. Honestly, they they try to get him at every turn and he's always a step ahead of them. I'm super happy to hear that. And I'm glad that he's doing that. Anyway, uh, Hunter Biden, right? We talked a little bit about Hunter Biden and, you know, I've always said when it comes to Hunter Biden, I don't know that talking about the president's son and his addictions and whatnot are really uh, front page news, breaking news. I, I think the, the bigger story is, you know, that Hunter is the bag man, that Hunter is brokering the deals, that, you know, uh, he's, he's collecting the money for the quote unquote big guy, the big guy being Joe Biden, who many say is not even Joe Biden. Uh, I just saw this really grainy, horrible looking video that claims to be a Biden scratching the back of his neck. And as he scratches the back of his neck, it looks like he's wearing a silicon mask. Now, I'm not saying it's real or it's fake. Uh, I am saying that there um, for years has been a, a division of the CIA that makes these lifelike masks to uh, for many reasons, you know, what they've always admitted to. Uh, and I forget what it's called, but it's a pretty simple name, like the CIA Office of uh, of Disguise or the CIA Master of Disguise or something like that. And it was a guy, and then he died, and his wife became the Master of Disguise. And um, and a very interesting story, and she had written a book, and uh, I think we'd invited her on the program, and they uh, uh, very not so graciously didn't respond. But um, I thought it would make a really good interview. But the point was... The CIA has done this for a long time, and at some point, they started recruiting people right out of Hollywood special special effects in order to do this, 
And they basically claimed like, you know, if there was a motorcade in, in, um, in another country, sometimes they would have a decoy and that's what they would use the masks for. Uh, but not always like the United States president, like the presidents of other countries that were, you know, being targeted for assassination. That was how we would help some of our partners by, you know, creating these very lifelike masks for them and whatnot. So uh, very interesting stuff. And uh, lo and behold, uh, now there's videos, and there has been for a long time, videos circulating of Biden, uh, you know, people saying, oh, look at his earlobe now versus his earlobe, uh, you know, five, eight, ten years ago. And, and I think, you know, I don't know, my, I look at pictures of my dad and his earlobes changed. You know, I mean, a lot of things started to sag on the old man by the time he was 80. That's just, I think, how, how it works. And my dad didn't have any um, facial work done like Biden did. Biden had, like, at least at least one good uh, nip tuck right before he ran for president. And I think that's why he took so long to announce. And that might be why he's taking long again. Now he might say, look, I need to go under the knife again, stretch it all out again. So um, yeah, I I had read a big article on that and they were saying how, you know, in order to get him really, really tight, they had to like, you know, sew the side of his face like together with the earlobe in order to get it super tight. And I just thought, man, uh, you know, I hope I don't ever have to go through that. You know, uh, I, I could be as vain as the next guy, I suppose. But uh, I don't know that I want to get a uh, an, a nip and tuck. But anyway, that's a different story for uh, a different day. We're going to continue with uh, Open Phone America when we return. The phone number is 833-482-5337. Don't move a muscle. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Getting to your calls, let's go to Brody in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, listening on KDKA. Brody, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. My, my friend, I had to check in with you. And so you're, how many miles are you from Madison Square Garden? That is so exciting. My, uh, my mom's from the Bronx and my dad's from Pittsburgh. <laughs> so just so yeah. you know, well, I'll give you a little a cool story then. So the the tower that's being referenced in in that uh, drop is a tower that is 17 miles away from Madison Square Garden in the Bronx. WFAS FM, which uh, is it's the the antenna for that is above Montefiore Medical Center in the Bronx. Small world. Oh, that's so cool. How many th- how many thousand watts is it? I don't know. I think I think that is a, a five thousand watt repeater for the FM, um, which I think Cumulus really, uh, literally just sold. I think a month ago, so we're not even on it anymore. So we do we're broadcasting. Uh, the show originates now from DC, but I I come by way of WFAS in Westchester, which is probably about five or six miles outside of the Bronx. That's great. Can I ask you a question? A serious question. Maybe I'm not always very a, serious, but go right ahead. You you're 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 very very intelligent, and, and, and I called, and I didn't call to be a, a joker here. Is Joe Biden really really? And I'm listening. All of America is listening to me. Okay, is Joe Biden really running for president? I mean, for real, like seriously. 
You know, I don't think there's a yes or no on this one. Uh, I think he said he's running five or six times or for five or six more years or whatever it was he said. But uh, ultimately, I look at the original, right? The original, um, the original 08, how about that, or 2012. In 2012, uh, Obama gets reelected and then 2016 comes around and uh, Obama is out. He's term limited out and everybody thinks Joe Biden is going to run for president in in 2016 and he doesn't because hillary was polling better or whatever it was and bernie was you know talking smack and he doesn't get involved and he takes that that you know that whole four years off which in my opinion was horrible but again what's my opinion worth to anybody because he ends up you know getting in the white house anyway whether it's by hook or by crook so he runs again now in in 2020 and now he's in so now back then people were like, here's no way he could win. This guy ran back in the day and he couldn't get, you know, nine votes together. But yet there he is. And then he cuts this major deal, pushing everybody out. He pushes out Buttigieg. He pushes out uh, Bernie Sanders. He pushes out Elizabeth Warren. Everybody gets out of the way for Joe Biden because the deal was made. So you look at that and you think, you know, I have always said, let's never underestimate Joe Biden. And the reason why, because I used to think, you know, a million years ago when he was Speaker of the House, I thought Paul Ryan was a very smart guy. Whether you liked his politics or he's a rhino or not a rhino is irrespective. He's a smart guy and he became Speaker of the House. And I went to a debate watch party uh, for the vice presidential debate with a friend of mine that I worked in the uh, Christie administration with. And I watched Paul Ryan get the snot beat out of him by Joe Biden And I remember that like yesterday. And I said, man, this guy knew exactly what he was doing. Because in a debate, you're not always debating the merits of the argument. You're trying to persuade the audience. And it doesn't matter how you go about doing it. And that's exactly what Biden did. He chuckled. He snickered. He belittled him. It didn't matter if he was telling the truth or not. It was effective in making him look superior to Paul Ryan. And... And I said, man, this guy's very effective at that of those kinds of dirty debate tricks. So, you know, fast forward a million years, he might forget his name and, you know, who his sister or his wife is or, you, you know, the thing, man. He, there's a lot of things Joe Biden forgets. But one thing I don't think he forgets is the muscle memory of being a corrupt machine politician. That's all he knows how to do. And it begs the question, what does Joe Biden do if he's not in office, if he's not running for some political office? And I don't know if anybody knows the answer to that because he was only out for a little while. That that gap from being vice president to not running for president the subsequent uh, election cycle. So I think now Biden's in a position where he's got the most political capital because he is um, the current sitting president. But that doesn't mean everybody likes him. And I think he's a very lame duck and people don't don't they don't all like him. So it makes it difficult for him. So what ends up happening is I think Biden has to cut more deals, just like he did to to get past Hillary and to get past Bernie Sanders and get on board with everybody there. He's got to do the same thing now. And he's got Buttigieg. He's got Kamala Harris. He's got Gavin Newsom that's coming hard. I mean, every day I see Gavin Newsom making inroads, especially campaigning in red states. So to me, it seems that uh, Newsom is preparing for that. But again, when you're young like Newsom is, it makes sense for him to run, just like for DeSantis. Even if DeSantis isn't serious about running right now, he wants to seriously put his name out there as a serious contender for the next election in 28. 
where he could uh, he'll be done with his governorship or at least a lot closer to being done and he can go ahead and make a move. So I think Biden um, is in a unique spot where he's got to earn a little bit, which you don't normally have to earn when you're a sitting president. But in his case, he has to earn a little bit of the respect of his Democrat colleagues, because I think they're kind of uh, predisposed right now to say, you're really messing things up, whether it's the weakness he's showing from that drone that got knocked out of the sky to the spy balloon to now spies, literal spies in the United States uh, inside of our military and, and no action, no action, no action from Biden except for, hey, I'm on vacation and uh, it's my sister Valerie and my son Hunter. They're terrific. I'm really proud of them. And uh, and that's where we are. So, yeah, I think Biden in his mind, he's like, yeah, I'm seriously running because he's a politician in Washington and they can do whatever they want. Right. These are the same people that say, look, we're going to pass laws that say you can't do insider trading while we enrich ourselves and are not subject to those same laws. That's the cloth that he's cut from. That's the world that he lives in. And I going to continue to do that. And, and that's my answer on is he running? I think he really believes so, Brody. Yeah, the, the, boy, I, did somebody record that? That's beautiful. Seriously. Uh, well, it's, everything's recorded. <laughs> Rich Valdez, America at night.com. You can always play it back, send it to a friend, have somebody listen. I appreciate that. It's very kind of you. And a big shout out to you and everybody listening in Pittsburgh on KDKA. Uh, really nice to chat with you tonight. Um, we're going to continue with your phone calls and more straight ahead. Plus, I wanted to get to some of these other stories because uh, speaking of Joe Biden and Hunter, um, there's all this story, right, that Hunter Biden needed to step in to help his confused dad answer some questions in front of a group of kids. So we'll talk about that uh, straight ahead. Plus, there's a couple of clips of audio that I, I want you to hear because, well, they're they're good. You know, we've got uh, Rep. Ro Kahana saying what we should be saying about Biden, but he's saying it about Senator Feinstein, saying that, it's painfully obvious that Senator Feinstein needs to resign. So uh, we'll listen to that as well on the other side. And, of course, we welcome your calls. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And you can always chime in on the social media, at Rich Valdez. That is Valdez with an S at the end for those that are tired of hearing me say it. Ha <laughs> ha, too bad. All right, anyway. Don't go anywhere. I'm still here with you. The phone lines are open, and we're going to continue our conversation for another half hour. Don't go anywhere. It's America at Night with me, Rich Valdez. Welcome back. And as promised, Representative Ro Khanna, he's a Democrat from California. He um, he was on CNN today and he says it's painfully obvious that Senator Feinstein needs to resign. Listen to this. Uh, But it has become 
painfully obvious to many of us in California that she is no longer able to fulfill her duties. She doesn't have a clear return date. We haven't been able to confirm judges at a time where women's rights and voting rights are under assault. Senator Durbin himself, who's the chair of judiciary, has said that the reason we're not being able to move these judges uh, is because Senator Feinstein isn't there. And so as someone from California, I felt an obligation to say what so many colleagues are saying in private, that the time has come for her to gracefully step down and have a dignified end to a very distinguished political career. You know, Ro Khanna and the Democrats and everybody else is lucky that I'm not a politician, because if somebody said that about me, I would double down and be like, yeah, I'm going to use some of those unlimited sick days I've got. Yeah, yeah. Because you know what? Don't tell me what to do. Absolutely not. Ro Khanna, don't tell me what to do. Now, listen, I agree. I don't like Feinstein. She's the one that allowed the uh, the chauffeur for 20 years to be a Chinese spy. Right. Did I get that right? I think I did. And. When when it comes to to these statements, when they sound so whimsical and flowery, like she's had a very distinguished career and gracefully step aside, blah, 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 right? This is called, you know, um, they want to control her. I don't know why she's not voting for what they want. Is it really because she's sick? Because you know what? Nancy Pelosi could be in the worst of all situations and she would make sure that things got done. So I don't know what's really happening here. But the fact that they're putting so much pressure on on Senator Feinstein, uh, I think, hmm, ha ho, there's something going on here, bro. Because obviously, to me, if there's judges that need to be confirmed, and I know she's on the Judiciary Committee, then why is she stalling, right? To me, she's stalling. She may have cut a deal. Maybe she cut a deal with her buddy Mitch, and Mitch said, look, I need you to, you're resigning. There's no fallout for you here. I need you to do X, Y, and Z because I need to make a play over here. Clear, And that's why they're making this play, and they're going on TV saying what they're saying. So this is clearly a political problem. This is not about sick days. It's not about shingles. It's not about anything else. It's just about that. But what did she say? Well, according to the New York Post, uh, she said, when I was first diagnosed with shingles, I expected to return by the end of March and the work period that ends in March. However, I was not able to return to Washington. And, uh, and it's been delayed due to continued complications related to her diagnosis. Now, listen, people get sick. I understand. If we don't have enough Democrats in Washington, hey, what am I going to do? <laughs> You know, I'm rooting for Senator Feinstein at this point, uh, but I'm not rooting for her Chinese spy chauffeur that I'm not doing. Uh, She goes on to say, I intended to return as soon as possible. Once my medical team advised that it was safe, once they do advise that it's safe for me to travel. In the meantime, I remain committed to the job and will continue to work from home in San Francisco. So there you go. She's at home in San Francisco. Let me know what your thoughts are on that. 833-4-VALDEZ. 833, the number 4-VALDEZ. And a couple other stories that I want to just uh, put out there for your consideration. And there's a few interesting ones tonight. Very busy news day. Uh, on the crazy news front. The Cash App founder that was stabbed, then they said in a botched robbery, guess what was not botched robbery? It was Murder. And they've arrested somebody. Listen to this. Speaking of San Francisco, uh, because that's where it happened. His name was Bob Lee. He was the founder of Cash App. And a fellow tech worker was arrested Thursday in the killing of this Cash App founder, Bob Lee. 
the dad of two, 43 years old, wow, it's almost like me, I'm 44, dad of two, uh, was stabbed just after 2.30 in the morning on April 4th in the ritzy neighborhood of Rincon Hill. Uh, Nimena Momeni, 38 years old, was arrested and charged with murder, according to police, saying, we can confirm that Mr. Lee and Mr. Momeni knew each other. All right, that sounds fishy just right there. Uh, San Francisco Police Department Chief William Scott said in a Thursday press conference but refused to get into any more detail. This sounds like Pelosi and his hammer, right? The hammer to, to the, uh, the hammer incident, I should say. Uh, Momeni, uh, boss of a company called Expand IT, said it is said to have been diving through, excuse me, I'm, I'm reading everything wrong here. That's a lack of caffeine. Who's been said to have been driving through the city with Lee when they had some kind of confrontation, which resulted in the tech mogul exiting the vehicle. Uh-oh. So it was like, what you say? What you say, foo? Oh, what you say? Get out the car, Dan. And that's how it happened. So now uh, Nima Momemi is arrested for murder of Cash App founder Bob Lee. What a shame. Uh, and I'm I'm... Curious now to know the extent of their relationship. Were they professional rivals? Were they friends? Were there more to the story that we don't know? Uh, very, very interesting how this was a robbery gone bad, and now it's not. You know, was there money involved? Was a hostile takeover? Uh, horrible. But there is a uh, security video, and uh, it's not been publicly released, but it shows the dying entrepreneur walking up to a car with its hazard lights flashing and lifting his shirt to show the driver that he was severely injured. Oh, that's very sad. The car drove off without helping Lee, and he collapsed to the ground in the video footage, according to various local outlets who were able to view the video. It's not clear if the red car that Lee approached in the video was the one driven by the suspect or another passing vehicle. Lee has two young daughters called 911 himself, telling them he'd been stabbed and needed help. By the time cops, cops arrived, he was unconscious and eventually died from his wounds. So, very sad story, really is. Um, you know, I guess only because I could relate, because, you know, he's around my age and his kids, and it's just horrible to think that that happens. But it happens, and it's happening in San Francisco. It's happening in places like New York and Philly and Chicago. And uh, it's going to keep happening and getting closer and closer to our backyard if we don't pay attention and change things come election time. Anyway, don't go anywhere. Don't move a muscle. Your calls and more coming up. 833-4-VALDEZ. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. talking about a few things. <clears throat> so listen to this. So uh, you remember, I don't know, a year ago where 5 million chickens were condemned to death because they had the avian flu, right? And that was the story we were told and they were killed. And then uh, two days ago, you had 18,000 cows that were killed in an explosion that seems to, you know, immediately be deemed on the level, right? Because 
cow farms explode all the time. And this is, uh, to me, things we do have to question, right? Years ago, there was a song, uh, things that make you go, hmm. This is one of those things that makes you go, hmm. Now, listen, if you want to buy the story that they're telling you when you read the article, accidental, blah, 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 this is, then go right ahead. Um, I have way much more fun analyzing it from a few different angles and thinking, maybe not. Maybe there's more to this than meets the eye, and we have to remain open to it. Because if we don't use a healthy dose of skepticism, what happens? We start to say, oh, come on. Everybody knows. We don't even know if that laptop even belongs to Hunter Biden. The whole thing's Russian disinformation. It's just the Republicans. I mean, that, that was what we heard in October uh, of 2020. That's exactly what was being told to everybody. And then, lo and behold, oh, it really is Hunter's laptop. Oh, Hunter acknowledges it's his laptop. Oh, the guy who fixed the laptop said, yeah, this is Hunter's, and he left it here. And then the FBI goes after that guy, and then he comes on the show, and, and they're still after him. So, I mean, it, it's just um, incident after incident after incident where we can say, okay, it's really his laptop. We've all seen the videos. If you haven't, then you're not paying attention. And that's fine. You don't have to. You can just listen to this show. We'll try and keep you up to speed on everything going on. But I, I, I can't help but ask myself, why don't we ask more questions about things? All right, here's another one. And this is separate from Hunter and anything that's going on there. A guy in Texas. Listen, this is a horrible story in my opinion. Texas man Larry Pearson has been sentenced to 70 years in prison. For what? What did he do, pray tell? Spitting at police. Now, last I checked, I love the police. My brothers were the police. Heck, I even volunteered with the police department here in New Jersey and um, went to an abbreviated police academy and whatnot. And, And I can tell you, I have nothing but respect for the boys in blue. But you tell me, spitting at anybody, let alone a cop, gets you 70 years in jail. And I say, Houston, we've got a problem, right? I mean, that's absolutely insane to me that this sounds like cruel and unusual punishment. But this Texas man was reportedly sentenced to 70 years in prison for spitting at Lubbock police officers during an arrest last May. Cops picked up Larry Pearson, 36 years old, on a domestic violence charge after he allegedly hit Uh, a woman several times in the face, leaving her with multiple visible injuries. That was according to everythinglubbock.com. If you want to check it out later, feel free. Pearson allegedly got angry when officers didn't arrest the victim as well, and she started kicking the door, and sorry, he started kicking the door of the police cruiser. When the two cops opened the door to demand that he stop, Pearson spat at them and kept doing so even after he got to the Lubbock County Detention Center. And jurors later found him guilty of two counts of harassment of a public servant. So, all right, you spit at a cop who was arresting you while you were hot, you know, heated, argument, violence, whatever the case is. During the trial, there was a closed argument. Prosecutor Jessica Gorman asked the jury to send a message to both the suspect and society in how they issued the sentence. Pearson had prior convictions for aggravated robbery, 
and family violence. Gorman said as a result, he faced the maximum sentence of 25 years, or excuse me, a minimum sentence of 25 years. So what does he get? The guy gets 70 years. Now, again, I get it if, if he'd gotten into some stuff and they said, look, you come, you show your face around here again on another violent thing, you're, you're out. We're, we're putting it all together. You know, the first incident, the second incident, the third incident, you're going to do all of that. I do get it, like a three strikes, you're out kind of rule. But I really also think spitting at the cops is horrible and nobody should do it. But I can't imagine anybody getting 70 years for that. So that's just my take on that. I'd love to know your thoughts. But I want to share another story with you because to me, this is just egregious. But I'm going to take a pause right here and I'm going to come right back. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Valdez, who again will do a fine job, but I know you'll enjoy listening to him. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, the phone number is 8334-VALDEZ. Let's go to Jeff in Nevada City, California, KNCO. Jeff, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Hello. Good, good evening. Uh, I got a comment on the guy that got 70 years. Sure. Um, here's the thing. What if he had prior knowledge, his own self, okay? Now, it's alleged that he's spitting on the cop. Da, da, da. If he had prior knowledge that he had COVID or AIDS or hepatitis or something crazy like that, okay, now what if the cop comes up testing positive afterward? That could be like a potentially assault with a deadhead by virus or by germ, Okay. Uh, yeah, well, here, here's the thing, Jeff, and I, I don't necessarily disagree with you, but I think the law does. I think there's like very limited jurisdictions in the country. California, I think, might be one of the only ones where they've made it a crime. If let's say you're HIV positive and you don't uh, you don't disclose that, you could be charged with a crime. In most states, they're just like whatever. If you don't tell people, then that's shame on you. Uh, and I don't again, I don't even know what side of that argument I'm on. I just remembered reading that recently. Um, like a year ago, and uh, having an argument with somebody about it, and I didn't have an opinion on it, really. I, I just remembered saying that's a pretty, it's a, it's a really sucky position to be in. But, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. I, years ago, there were people that were robbing people in the Port Authority bus terminal in New York City um, for people that were taking late buses, and they would literally just pull out, like junkies, you know, who were looking to get high. Instead of asking for money, um, and they're aggressive at that. They would just pull out the last needle that they used to shoot up and they would threaten people and say, this is an AIDS infected needle. Give me all your money. And people were forking over all the money they could cause they were just scared to death. And cops started wearing, you know, these gloves that were like, you know, more reinforced so that needles wouldn't go through. And it, it was a big deal. And that's when politicians started making the claim that, you know, maybe we should start giving out needles so that everybody's safer. And I don't, again, I don't support that idea either. But uh, interesting point that you bring up. What if he had a disease? I don't think they're going to give him an additional charge uh, because they don't do it with AIDS or any of these other things in most places. Uh, but maybe they should. It might be a conversation we should have, Jeff. 
I think they would have to be able to prove that he had prior knowledge in order to, like, tack that onto him. Right. Kind of like trying to prove conspiracy that, you know, people conspired to defraud X, Y, and Z, and, you know, it wasn't just an accident. And I think those those cases are hard to prove. But thank you for the call. I appreciate it. Let's go to Patty in Ventura, California, KVTA. Patty, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Hi. Hi, Rich. Hey, you know, that's so cool that that guy just asked that question because I'm calling you for, uh, for a second reason now. Let me answer something. Here in California, years ago, I was in workers' compensation. I can tell you this. It could, anytime a police officer or fireman, is, there's so many presumptive injuries under workers' compensation that they're covered for, like cancer, automatically covered for firemen. Uh, I would see claims come through that where the policeman, uh, the, the perp, yeah. peed on the door handle, you know, and so he filed a claim just in case for the bodily fluids. Exactly. So mm-hmm. I don't think that plays into it at all, but uh, don't worry. The guy would be covered. What, <laughs> police right. officer, what, what, <laughs> what I am just curious about is, are we going to be allowed to know the race of this person that got 70 years? Yeah, well, th- there's a picture of a black guy in, in the article. Um, I don't know if that's the... Uh, if that plays a role in it or not. But I do know there's a picture of him. His name is Larry Pearson, and there's a mug shot of his. And then there's like a casual shot of his as well. And um, what's your take on on why race matters? Well, because we've seen so many people in Black Lives Matter, you know, throwing crap at the cops and getting away with I mean, they they injured cops and got away with it. So Oh, yeah. In I New York, I saw curious. a lot of that. Yeah. Right, yeah, well, the, this guy, uh, in my best, uh, he could be Dominican or dark-skinned Puerto Rican, or you know, he's not really, really dark. But for, I, I would describe him as 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 a black guy or Hispanic, uh, darker Hispanic, darker than me. And um, and you know, I believe that this still seems to me to be cruel and unusual punishment. I don't think you should get seventy years for spitting at a cop, but I do get the three strikes and you're out deal. And he had these two priors for for. Um, aggravated robbery and family violence. So I think if you're on parole for the aggravated robbery and they're like, if you do this again, you're going to jail and then you do it again, then yeah, you're going to get that max. Uh, that makes sense to me. Uh, if it was just for spitting, I'd say that's, you know, cruel and unusual. So uh, I think the headline might've been a tad misleading, but it was an interesting story nonetheless, because, you know, Really, should anybody get 70 years for spitting at a cop? I don't want to normalize spitting at cops the way they've normalized people robbing people, uh, or in particular big box stores in California. But that's where we are. Anyway, the music means that it's time for me to go. Uh, Patty in Ventura, California, KVTA, thank you for the call. Call back again soon. It was good talking to all of you tonight. And uh, the gentleman on KNCO as well. Hasta la próxima. Until the next time, take care, good night, and God bless. I am Rich Valdez. More good radio coming up on this station, so don't go anywhere. I'll see you tomorrow. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.